prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for being a good and gracious God. Uh, We thank you, God, that you are uh, abundantly faithful to your people, that you are righteous and holy and uh, sovereign in all things. And God, when we know your wisdom, when we know your perfection, uh, we are ashamed of how too frequently we don't trust you. We don't trust your wisdom. We don't trust your power. So, Father, forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for trying to be wise in our own eyes. God, forgive us for not trusting how you provide for our our physical needs, how you provide for our financial needs. Lord, forgive us for not uh, trusting you uh, in this life. God, we pray that through um, the message today and our time together that you would continue to remind us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Uh, We do that now by confessing our sins to you. We ask you, who are faithful and just, to cleanse us of our sins, to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Heavenly Father, we do pray for those in our midst who are hurting. We pray for uh, Ken Tedder. We pray that you would continue to give him faith as he battles his cancer. We pray for Jerry and Ellen Green. Lord, we pray that you would continue to strengthen Jerry. Uh, Father, we pray for Olin and Louise. Now, we pray that you would surround Olin with your loving care. We thank you so much for bringing Devin and Melissa back with us. We pray, God, that you would continue to give uh, Melissa more strength in her legs and more good days. And, Father, we do pray uh, right now again for Sarah and Wade. Uh, We thank you so much for what you have given us in them uh, over these last years. We pray, God, that today would be a sweet day for them as they get to think on how much you have done in and through them in the life of our congregation. Father, we pray that you would bless them. We pray that you would just have your hand upon um, their lives as they could seek to trust you and do your will. God, I thank you for them, uh, and I pray that you would just abundantly make yourself clear to them on the next steps in their lives. Father, we do thank you for the gospel and how the gospel is heralded all throughout our city. Uh, Father, we pray uh, this morning for um, Brother Reggie at Calvary. We pray, God, that as he uh, preaches to your people uh, there, that that congregation would be built up into the likeness of Christ. Father, we pray now for our own hearts as we approach your word. God, we pray first now that you would soften our hearts, that we would not be those who only hear your word, but, God, that we would be people who hear and obey, that we would receive your word, that this word that would, that would be, be announced from my lips would be intended by your Holy Spirit. We take that you would take this word and uniquely apply to every one of our hearts, God. We pray that you would be glorified in this message. Uh, so, dear God, you know exactly what people need to hear today. You know where people's hearts are at. Uh, so, Father, I pray that you would just take this word and that you would bury it deep into our hearts, that we would uh, be more faithful to you, that we would be more willing to trust you. Dear God, we pray that through this message you would make us a humble people, that we would follow the example of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And he who lies down with dogs shall wake up with fleas. There are only a few of the witticisms of Benjamin Franklin. Uh, Benjamin Franklin is known as a key figure of the American, American's quest for liberty and one of the drafters of the Declaration of Independence. 
Now, although he was a key to the American experiment that we are living in today, uh, he is most affectionately known for his wit and his wisdom uh, when he published Poor Richard's Almanac in 1732. Uh, Those witticisms are continuing to be part of our American culture. Uh, At the age of 20, uh, Benjamin Franklin wrote down 13 virtues that he tried to live in every day. Here are a few. Silence. Speak not, but what may benefit others or yourself, avoid trifling conversation. Order. Let all things have their places. Let each part of your business have its time. Industry. Lose no time. Be always employed in something useful. Cut off all unnecessary actions. Humility. Imitate Jesus and Socrates. Benjamin Franklin tried to cultivate these 13 virtues throughout his life. He is a man who is a giant in American history, known for his intellect and common sense. And yet reflecting on all these virtues, he said in his autobiography these words, In reality, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Disguise it. Struggle with it, beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases, it is still alive. And will every now and then peep out and show itself. You will see it perhaps often in this history, for even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. When you look at the scriptures, when we look at our own lives, we know that pride is devastating. Franklin is right. We can disguise it, struggle with it, beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as we please, and there it remains. Pride is a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority, whether as cherished in mind or as displayed in our conduct. Pride, an inflated opinion of our own importance, is devastating, hear me, is devastating for marriages, for relationships, for societies, and for churches. I mean, have you ever experienced the the devastating effects of your own pride? I have seen too many times how my pride has hurt relationships with people whom I love and with my God who loves me. Friends, we must deal with our pride or it will be dealt with. This morning, I want to look at four aspects of pride from the story that is familiar to many of you, the Tower of Babel. Um, So I pray as you study this text together, as we study this text together, you will see how pride is devastating and how we can overcome it with God's grace. The first thing we see in this morning's text is pride hinders our mission. Pride hinders our mission. Let's begin by first reading the text. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come. Let us 
build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be, be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all the earth and they left off the building, the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The story of the Tower of Babel is in many ways a parallel to the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. As I shared before, the word plays throughout the book of Genesis kind of gives a picture, a window of how the, the original audience would have, have heard this. Remember, Israel was an auditory, uh, oral culture. So when the word of God was taught, it was taught orally. So the word plays and how things were heard were very important for uh, significance and importance to uh, meaning. So we pick up the story here after the flood and after the, 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 the chapter 10 of the list of Noah's descendants. The flood was a rebirth. The flood was a cleansing of the earth. And Noah was given the same charge that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden. Look back in chapter 9, verses 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Noah and his sons and his sons' wives were given a very specific tax to fill the earth. And then we begin at the beginning of Genesis chapter 11, them fulfilling their mission. It says they were migrating to the east to fill the earth. Look what it says again in Genesis 11, 1 and 2. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, right there what we see is that they were obeying God. Noah's sons and his descendants were, were going to the east, filling the earth with population. And then we see these words, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. See, the unity, the one language and the one people were given to God's people so that they could spread and fill the earth. But instead of filling the earth and subduing it, exercising their dominion, Instead of fulfilling their mission, their pride forced them to stop. Instead of listening and trusting in God's word, what God commanded them to do, they wanted to settle. They chose their desires over God's words. They followed in Adam's footsteps, choosing to be wise in their own eyes, rather than submitting to the eternal king's decree. Their pride caused them to settle on that plane rather than fulfill God's mission. See, pride, when we choose our desires over God's words, it hinders his mission. What motivated the people to settle? I mean, what motivates us to settle in our own comfort, in our own communities, rather than being sent out into the world with the gospel? 
It could have been their desire for comfort. It's a common one. Now, it would have been difficult to continue to travel along carrying all your, your, your family's belongings as they traveled to the east. It would have been much easier to settle, to lay down roots. It could have been their desire for community. How many times did they have to leave friends in certain areas and, and, and family as they traveled? It would have been easier to stay together and, and be united. Regardless of their motivations. Regardless of our motivations, when we don't do God's will, when we don't follow His words, we do know that they were afraid of being scattered. Look at verse 4 of chapter 11. It says, Lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. They place their desires above God's desires. If we were going to sum up this entire passage, that's where it's at. We place our desires above God's desires. Human pride always hinders the mission of God. Has our desire for comfort, to be comfortable here, hindered us from being on mission for the Lord? When new people come into our body, when new people come into our community, it's harder, isn't it? We've seen that. We've experienced it over the last little bit. We've got new faces here, and we love new people here. But when you get new people, you have new personalities, new joys, new, new trials. So sometimes it's easier for us not to go out, not to invite people to become part of our community because we want things to stay the same. That is pride, and it hinders the mission of God. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. But too often we just settle here and try to build something for ourselves. Beloved, God has continued to give us a mission to fill the earth with his glory. As he said to Noah and his sons, fill the earth. Now he says to the people of God, fill the earth with my glory. Go with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our goal in this church is not a full sanctuary. Our goal is not to have this place filled up. Our goal is to impact the lostness of our city, of our county, of our state, of our nation, and of the world. We want people to come to Christ everywhere to make disciples of the nations. Can you imagine if our church was filled to the brim. Every pew was, was filled. Every seat was taken. And yet our, our town is full of lost people. Are we going to rejoice? Are we going to rejoice that our church is full? Maybe churches around town are getting full because people move from one church to another. Rather than people going out with the gospel and, and hearing people be, be saved. Now, I'm not saying there's not, a, there's not a time and a place to leave a congregation. Don't hear me saying that. But what I, want, what I want you to hear is that we want to impact the lostness of our world. We should be praying for conversions. This past week, I was just gripped with how little, how little of people we've seen come to Christ. So I just wonder how many, how many, how much of our pride and our, our willingness, not willing to be, to be awkward, 
and uncomfortable with the world has hindered us from God's mission. Well, the second thing we see from this text is pride highlights man. Pride highlights man. So after settling in this plane, the men begin to speak to one another. Look what verse 11, chapter 11, verse 3 and 4 say. And I want you to notice how, how it's so close it is to Genesis 1, 26. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we disperse over the face of the earth. Now, if you were a, a first, um, the first hearers of this in Israel, they would have easily connected the let us to Genesis chapter 1. When God said, let us make man in our image. God was the one who was issuing the directive. But here, man usurped the divine prerogative. Right? They, they, they took place, God's place and they said, let us make bricks. Let us build. Let us make a name for ourselves. You see the two motivations there. They, they wanted to build this city to make a name for themselves and to avoid being dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They wanted to build a, a city and a tower with its tops to the heavens. But that could mean just a large building like a skyscraper today. That same top of the heavens is, is how uh, Moses used it in Deuteronomy 1, 28 and 9, verse 1. But the language of, of Genesis 11 is more accurately points to how they're trying to build a city without God. They're trying to build an autonomous city, a city that is not under the control of God. They do not want to acknowledge God, but serve themselves. Like Adam and Eve, they wanted to be wise in their own eyes. They desired to make a name for themselves. What they're doing is they're attempting to place man at the center of earth's story. And beloved, that is happening today. Our society wants to place man at the center of earth's story. Well, that is not the, the center of the universe. We, man, humanity, is not the center of the universe. God is the center of the universe. So what you see here in Genesis chapter 11 is a city that is opposed to God. Babel, which comes, turns into Babylon, throughout the scripture is, is pictured as a city that is set against God. It is the worldly city. It is the secular city. Now remember that when Israel would have heard this, they would have been entering in the promised land. They were right on the edge of the promised land, about to go in, and they saw the mighty nation-states of Canaan. They saw how powerful these nations were, and they shrunk back in fear. What, is, what Moses wanted to remind Israel is that the mighty cities of this world will fall at the hand of God. All the kingdoms of this world will not stand against the power of God. God's people need to remember that the kingdoms of this earth will fall. Which means that we can't closely identify ourselves, our, our well-being, our moods, with the well-being of the kingdoms of this earth. Listen to what Revelation 18 says. 
This is the, 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 the elder John speaking. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. They will stand far off in fear and torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all its wealth has been laid waste. Hear me. Babylon and all the mighty kingdoms of this earth, no matter how powerful they are, they will all fall at the hand of the Almighty. Throughout Scripture, Babylon is the symbol of the, the city who's opposed to God. And Jerusalem is pictured as the city of God. God's people have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Think about how important this is for us. We, we, we live in a world that, 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 that wants us to be shaken. When we look at all the things that are happening in our culture and, and all the things even now that are happening politically and the fear that you hear again and again on the, on, on the TV and on the radio, they want you to be shaken. And God says, my people will not be shaken. Because you do not belong to this kingdom. You belong to the city of your God, Jerusalem. Listen to what God's word says in Hebrews chapter 12, 22 through 24. He says that we have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and, and to the innumerable angels of festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So which city do you identify with? Which city do you primarily identify with? The, the city of man or the city of God? See, Babel highlights that man is the center of the universe, while Jerusalem places God at the center of life. So are you living your life to make a name for yourself? In our culture, in our world, it is so easy to make a name for yourself. To, 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 to draw attention to yourself. Well, beloved, our goal in this life is not to draw attention to ourselves, is not to make a name for ourselves. Our goal is to have God Almighty give us His name. And that's where this, this, this story in Genesis is going to turn in the next chapter with Abraham. So we, like Israel, need to be reminded not to fear the power of the great kingdoms of this world, but rather to trust in the power of our God. That's what Israel needed to hear when they were going back to the promised land. Do not fear them, but fear your God, who can bring them to nothing in a moment. The third thing we see here about pride is that pride humbles man. Pride humbles man. Man has set up this mighty city to build a name for themselves. So that they would not be dispersed over the face of the earth. The mighty city of man, the Lord had to stoop down to see. Look what the text says. Genesis 11:5 through 9. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They have all one language. 
And this is the only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will, be, will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language. So they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The Lord saw the unity in rebellion against him. He saw that they had one language and one um, mind. That if they were going to continue in rebellion, they would hurt themselves and do untold amounts of wickedness. This prideful, autonomous city needs to be brought to nothing. It was only going to get much worse, so God confused their language and forced them, forced them to fulfill His command, to fill the earth. This, this, this text, chapter, verse 1 and verse 9, kind of have, have bookends. The goal is to fill the earth, and God does it. Now, Babel was known in the ancient world to be the gate of God to be the gateways of heaven. It was viewed as the center of civilization and power. And we see again this mighty city God had to stoop down to see. It was not the gateway of God, but a place of confusion and folly. The word Babel and confuse come from the same root word. It would have been clear to the readers that God was saying this mighty city is a place of folly and confusion. Anyone who stands against the Creator God is one who is confused and foolish. That's what Psalm 2, 1 through 6 says. Hear God's word. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves up and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have sent my king on Zion, my holy hill. See, the world wants us to quake in fear at the kingdoms of this world. And the one who is seated on the throne in heaven laughs. He laughs at the power of this world. It is a fool's errand to stand against God. It may look like the nations are winning, but they will come to an end, as we see in Revelation 18, quickly. Now, the sad thing when we look at the story of Babel is the pride that we see here. This desire in us to live without God lies in all our hearts. Psalm 14, 1-3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. That's what God's Word says about humanity. The pride we see in Babel is the pride we see in our own human hearts. Romans 1, 21 and 23, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. 
but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. It is foolish to stand against God. And yet how many times do we do that in our lives? How many times where God tells us to do something, God tells us to obey, and we don't? It is foolish to live in pride. The Bible says God opposes the proud. Literally, God sets his face against the proud. Benjamin Franklin is right. Pride is the hardest passion to subdue. The truth is we cannot subdue it. We cannot deal with our pride. Only God can. And in his mercy, he dealt with it by hammering our boastful pride to the cross. Last point. Pride is hammered by meekness. Pride is hammered by meekness. The only way to overcome pride was to kill it on the cross. Jesus overcame human pride through humility and meekness. Jesus did not, now this is important, Jesus did not overcome pride by trying to make a name for himself. But he humbly submitted to the Father. He lived for the glory of his Father. He lived to make God's name great. And through his perfect obedience, God gave him the name that is above every name. Listen to what God's word says, Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. Listen about our God. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ hammered pride to the cross. The cross is an indictment of human pride. What the cross says is that no man can boast. No man can get to God. The only way to get to God is humbly submitting to Christ. The cross describes the way of salvation which, according to 1 Corinthians 1.29, has this purpose, that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Jesus Christ removed boasting in the cross, saying everybody deserves to die, and there's only one way you can get to God, by accepting Christ as your Savior. Uh, the prophet Zephaniah prophesied that there would be a day when God would convert the speech of the nations. He says in chapter 3, verse 9 of his prophecy, For at that time I will change the speech of the people uh, to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. See, Jesus took care of pride on the cross. But he did so much more. He was dead, buried, 
was raised from the grave and was seated at the right hand of the Father. And there, in the position of authority, he sent forth his Spirit. So we read in Acts chapter 2, God sending forth his Spirit, the beginning of the, the turn of the conversion of the nations. Listen to God's word of Acts chapter 2, when Christ sent forth his Spirit at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house, and they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of this multitude came together and were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? This means that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God began to reverse the curse of Babel. This means that Jesus has restored the unity of diverse people through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. This means that Christians are now called to be one in spirit. This means that you have more in common with a Christian Syrian refugee than you do with your own lost neighbor. You have more in common with those of other lands who believe in Christ than you do your own neighbor because we have been born again into one spirit, to have one faith, one baptism, one Lord. That's what Jesus Christ was doing on the cross, sending forth his spirit Therefore, we must humble ourselves by repenting of our pride in all its manifestations. Every time we try to lift up ourselves to make a name for ourselves or to make a name for our opinions or our preferences, we have to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Paul writes in Galatians 6.14, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. On the plains of Shinar, God said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Now, can you imagine? If God now looked at the people of Park Baptist Church, he looked at our community and said, Behold, they are one people in Christ. And they have all one language by the Spirit of Christ. And this is only the beginning of what they will do for the glory of the Father. And nothing that they propose to do in Christ will now be impossible for them. For all things are possible with God. What if God wanted to take our small, older Baptist church and use it to fill the earth with his glory? What if God wanted to take us here, have everyone here be committed to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, committed to, to live in humility and take his glory to the nations through these people? 
What if God wanted to display the manifold wisdom to the rulers and the powers in the heavenly places through this church? Beloved, I pray that you would kill your pride. Do not live to make a name for yourself, but let us live for the only name that matters, Jesus Christ, who was ransomed for people from every tribe and language and people and nation. He who has made us into an unshakable kingdom and priest to our God that shall reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we pray now, God, that you, in your kindness, would allow us to see the glory of the cross, that you would show us the power, the great power of Jesus, the great power of his name. God, I pray that you would empty our congregation of our pride, that you would allow us to boast only in the cross of Christ. We pray that you would unite us in one spirit around the the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray, God, uh, that you would do a work in our congregation, that you would use our church to fill the earth with your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.